So here we are. Almost made it through the first day. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I just want to, um, yeah, just to acknowledge their their commitment, yeah, that it takes to to be here. Yeah, uh, some people. Some of us, maybe there's a sense of more ease or more flow, but for most of us, most of the time, it's it's an interesting journey, yeah. And there's plenty of um, of moments that that are not easeful, that may be challenging. Uh, taking time to to acknowledge that and to appreciate that, uh, appreciate the, that which is present to to allow us to keep going, yeah, to persevere in ourselves and um, and also between us. Yeah, very much the sense of community and people were touching today a little bit, sharing a little bit on just moments of feeling that connection or the love or the compassion, yeah, flowing, you know, one direction <laughs> or the other almost doesn't matter. Yeah. And how much of a support that is. Oh, the support of the of this of this place, you know, of the grounds of the you know, all the people that have looked after and are looking after the gardens here over the years. Yeah, from the nuns that used to live here to various volunteers and coordinators that carry on and then to the to the non-human yeah, beings that are here that are such a support, you know, the trees and and the birds and the rabbits. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, you know, when we simplify. Yeah, then we see um, you know, we meet our own edges, certainly, but we also meet like really seemingly very simple things that can have a profound impact when, when we just are kind of just simple enough and quiet enough to notice and how close the, the birds come <laughs> to us at Guy House and what a sense of privilege that is, you know, the gift of fearlessness, you know, that these creatures that are usually afraid of us are not afraid. And what an impact that has. So yeah, very much taking time to appreciate that, you know, everything internally and externally, yeah, that's here to support us. Um, and, and the sense of community. And as we kind of go deeper into the retreat, a real sense of can we prioritize that respect and, and that support that we're receiving and that we're also offering without knowing. This is also one of the magic beauties of being on retreat. You know, we're receiving support and we're offering support um, just by being here and just by kind of following the, the kind of simple guidelines. So we've been joined by some of the long-term yogis, the hermits, we call them here. <laughs> and I always love it when they come into the hall because it, it's an opportunity to 
to kind of feel that mutuality, you know, people who are here for longer and are part of the silence that is supporting us. And then we, we in turn come in and practice and we nourish the feeling of practice in the house. You know, kind of it's really this, this flow that is worth naming. So with that deepening of silence, you know, really, really deepening into that. So, you know, maybe, you know, we found ourselves leaving notes to other yogis and maybe we can just let go of that out of respect, you know. We, you know, we have a book somewhere that's a little bit, um, you know, in other people's sight and, and maybe we can put it away just as a real, that real act of, of support and generosity of deepening into the silence together. And it's an invitation, invitation. So I wanna, I told you yesterday that I like to ask questions. Um, so I wanna ask you a question and there's no, uh, there's not even gonna be an opportunity for everyone to answer so you can relax if there's kind of like, <laughs> And also, if no one wants to answer, that's fine. But I wanted to ask um, if anyone noticed any, anything um, that felt interesting to you in, um, in the meditation we just did and some of the ones that we did earlier today around either um, relaxing tension or kind of opening to or tuning into what feels pleasant or okay or good enough. Was there anything interesting that you noticed? And there's no right answer, just to say that. Yes. I felt that relaxed so much tension that for the first time ever in my experience of meditation, I just nodded briefly. Mm. Yeah, so I'll repeat because people might not hear at the back that there was um, relaxing tension so much that um, you got sleepy and you nodded off. Yeah, almost fell asleep and that was the first time it ever happened in meditation. Great, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and this time, I, I took the night out and, and the, the thing was, that feels okay. Mm. And for me, that was my feet. Mm. And that was my point of reference. And there wasn't a judgment on the word so mm. much this time, mm -hmm. a feeling. Yeah. So that felt really positive. Yeah. Yeah, and noticing that whole process. So initially, when the invitation is to notice something nice, there can be a sense of, whoa, you know, and nice. <laughs> I love the way you did it. I don't think I can do it as well. <laughs> nice, you know, what's that, you know? And, and then, and then the, the second time, there can be, like, there's just a little bit more um, groundedness with that, and then we can hear a little bit more, we can see a little bit more. That's kind of what you're describing. Then it's like, ah, it doesn't have to be nice, it can just be okay, yeah? And then finding that place, and then that sense of, you know, the feet feeling okay, yeah? Having a sense of something, something positive in that, yeah. Anything else?
Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the noticing that when the invitation was to notice something pleasant, what was what arose, what kind of the insight was, oh actually most of the time I'm focusing on the unpleasant and trying to dissolve the unpleasant. But with the permission to notice the pleasant, the pleasant things grow in the way, and this is, I'm adding that on, but in the way that we usually think only unpleasant things grow. Yeah. So interesting. So with the permission, unpleasant can suddenly appear more and kind of be more present and be more palpable, more noticeable. Anything else? You're going to make me talk, aren't you? This is my kind of secret strategy to let you give the talk instead of me. Okay. Last chance? Okay, great. So as we can see, kind of... um, a lot of different kind of insights that can come when we um, open to look at experience in a certain way. Yeah. So just this kind of paying attention in a particular way and then being interested in, in what happens as, as a result um, kind of reveals, can reveal quite a lot to us about the nature of experience and about the nature of our minds. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's not like I said, there's no right answer. It's not like that we're looking for one specific thing. What we're interested in is this diversity. Yeah, I look at a certain way and I, I kind of then see things that are interesting. Yeah. So I can see that I can relax the body so much that I fall asleep. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Something interesting to learn there about calmness. Yeah. Or I look, I, I notice how I habitually look at something, you know, that I habitually think that looking for something nice is maybe, you know, wrong, or that the nice isn't there, or that I tend to um, be more focused on the unpleasant, that's easier to find. Yeah. yeah so it's like we look at a certain way and we see other things. And that reveals um, a lot, actually. It reveals a lot about our experience and about the nature of the mind. Nature of the mind, nature of the experience. I'm I'm saying it separately, but, you know, those two are very related to each other. And I'd like to touch on some of the things that are revealed to us, yeah, through through the practices that we're doing here. Um, so I'm, go- I'm going to touch on some, definitely not on everything. And the, the first thing that I'd really like to pull out, um, is kind of really key to, to what we're doing, is that one thing is revi- that's revealed is that there is a relationship 
unfolding every moment of our experience. There's a relationship unfolding. So we, we are always relating to what is arising, either internally, yeah, in our internal experience, our thoughts, our emotions, um, our physical sensations, or externally, yeah, to others, to the environment. There's always a relationship going on, and you don't need to believe me, yeah. Hopefully, that's something that we can see through the talk in our own experience, and how we relate. The nature of that relationship has an impact. Yeah, it has an impact on how the experience unfolds. Yeah, how the experience itself unfolds. It also has an impact on our own well-being. Yeah. So I'm going to say a little bit more about this and unpack it. If we reflect, and, and we've been able to see this many times um, in the last 24 hours, I'm sure, if we reflect on how we habitually experience life, we kind of experience at, at it as an event happening and that event being perceived, yeah, or known. Yeah, so something happens and then that is perceived. Yeah, two separate, almost disconnected things. Yeah, so for example, the body aches. Yeah, so there's an ache in the body, and then there's a perception, there's a knowing of that ache. Yeah, or um, the mind wanders off. That's an event. The mind wanders off, and then eventually, I know that that's what's happened. Yes, yeah, so there's an event in the perception or the knowing of the event, or someone does something. <laughs> Yeah, someone does something, doesn't matter, good, bad, neutral. Someone does something, and then there's the knowing of that, of the response to that. Does this make sense? That's the habitual way that we experience life. Yeah. And yet, when we look more closely, we can start to see how, you know, that is a way of seeing life, but it's not actually that accurate or real <laughs> in the way that we take it to be because there are there's a relationship there are threads flowing between these seemingly you know the seeming event and the seeming perception there's some relationship there and starting to see this relationship and understanding it um, is infinite in its profoundness and how profound it is. I'm not, pr I'm not sure profoundness is a word, but you know, whatever. You get what I mean. So it's infinite in how profound it is, and it's also infinite in the possibilities that it opens up for us. Yeah. So this understanding about the relationship, the threads that flow between any seemingly two separate um, events. So two important things to kind of pull out and highlight here. One is that what we pay attention to impacts what we perceive. So attention is not random, or it is random. It's not neutral. Yeah, Sometimes it's not random. What we pay attention to impacts what we perceive. And I'll give some examples in a moment 
kind of bear with me. And the relationship to what is unfolding in experience can affect how we experience that thing, whatever that is. Okay, so two important points can seem, I, I told you they were profound. <laughs> they can seem a bit like, woo, what's she talking about? Yeah. I'm going to get to examples. Yeah, but I'm just going to repeat them again. What we pay attention to impacts what we perceive. Yeah. And the relationship, how we're relating to the unfolding momentum of life affects what we experience or how it's experienced or both. And this is, you know, someone my partner, something my partner came up with um, recently. And he said, you know, we can, um, we kind of have this game of giving a talk and then kind of giving one liner and saying, just remember this. Yeah, if you just remember this. So if this is his, not mine, um, but I steal his stuff all the time. Um, so if we can look at the teachings of Buddha Dharma, yeah, the teachings of the Buddha, and think what he was actually doing was he was giving us relationship advice. Yeah. So what we're doing here, the teachings, the practices, they're about relationship. Yeah about relationship, the fact that there is relationship and the fact that that relationship is something changeable, pliable, workable. Yeah, so some good advice for relationship. And here come the examples. So one really um, common experience, and there may be a few lucky people here that haven't experienced any discomfort in the body today. Um, very rare. So if we think of our own experience, when there's discomfort in the body, what's the habit? How, what do we normally pay attention to when there is discomfort in the body? Any guesses? The discomfort, yeah. And what, so, so one thing that happens is we, yeah, we, we kind of zone in on the discomfort or the unpleasant, yeah, like that. And then in the discomfort, yeah, uncomfortable experience in the body, what do we particular zone, what do we, this is, a, this might be a bit difficult, so let's try. What is it particularly that we zone in on? Yeah, it's uncomfortable, which is? Negative, yeah, unpleasant. Yeah, so we zone in, we kind of, kind of, I keep, I do make, making this movement <laughs> with my hand because that's kind of what happens. Yeah. So there's a discomfort in the body somewhere and our general attention goes in onto that, zones in on the discomfort and then within the actual uncomfortable sensation, we zone in on the unpleasant nature of it. That's what we, that's a habit of attention. Yeah, remember I said what we pay attention to, yeah? What we pay attention to impacts what we perceive. So if there's an uncomfortable sensation in the body and the habit is to notice the uncomfortable and the unpleasant, then if that's the habit, if that's what happens automatically, yeah, what we'll perceive is <laughs> discomfort and unpleasant, yeah? 
And yet today we've just gently been touching on other possibilities. Yeah, so there can be discomfort in the body um, and we can notice things about that discomfort which aren't necessarily <laughs> the discomfort or the unpleasantness. Yeah, so for example, um, we can notice um, the layers of tension in the discomfort and then invite relaxation. Yeah, but in order to invite the relaxation, we actually need to make contact with the tension itself, which is a little bit different, subtly different from uncomfortable or unpleasant. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. Or we can notice, um, I, I don't think we mentioned this today, but we can pay attention to the aspect of um, the discomfort which is changing. Right? So nothing is the same all of the time. So even within an uncomfortable sensation, there will be changeability in constancy. It won't all the time be the same, even if it just fluctuates in degrees of discomfort. It's changing. Yeah? Okay? And we can train the mind, or we can develop the interest to look at that impermanence. And that... Yeah, and don't, again, don't believe me, try it for yourself. It can shift the perception or um, decrease the sense of problematic in that experience of physical discomfort. Or something that we've been doing today is we can intentionally open to see what else is present in experience because it's never the only thing. Yeah, it's never the only thing. So there can be discomfort in the body, but somewhere else in the body there will be something that feels okay. Yeah, often it's the feet. <laughs> yeah. Or the hands. Yeah. There may be something else, somewhere else. So we kind of intentionally um, open out the awareness to notice what else is present. So this is all these are all things we can learn to do. We can train the mind to do. There's habit, but that habit was also created with repetition. Right? That's how habits are formed. Yeah. So there's, there's, you see that there's, you know, we have habits of, of attention. We pay attention to something because that's the habit. And then that affects what the perception is. It builds up a trajectory in a certain um, direction. And so what we're playing with here, or what we can play with, is the sense of the problematic around experience and the sense of overwhelm, right? So physical discomfort is a really good example of this, yeah? And particularly if we kind of start to think about not the, the, the biggest pains and aches that we have, but actually relatively small things, you know, foot falling asleep, um, an itch or a tickle, you know, relatively mild things. And what happens, uh, we, we get really overwhelmed by them. It's a little bit embarrassing <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, people have, you know, it's one of the kind of things I wonder why I still have long hair, because, you know, so often when you're meditating, there's like tickles all over the place. Um, it can feel really overwhelming, you know, like wanting to just brush it away. Such a strong habit. Such a strong habit. So shifting, learning to shift the habits of attention, learning to shift where we place the attention, 
um, can really reduce that sense of overwhelm and also open up more possibilities of attending to experience. And this is really important. Open up more possibilities of attending and responding to what is arising. Um, so like, like we've, we've spoken about with attention, if I'm noticing the tension within the discomfort, then I can bring some relaxation to that or invite that to some degree. It's not a magic formula. Yeah, but to some degree I can bring that in. So the sense of the problematic can be reduced and sometimes it can even disappear. Yeah, sometimes it can even disappear. So this is, um, you know, hopefully I'm explaining this in a way that it feels pretty down to earth and simple, but it's also radic radical, yeah, radical. And as I said, allows a lot of possibility and was one of the great gifts that um, the Buddha and teachers like him offered to us. You have understanding our experience. And the Buddha had um, a wonderful simile uh, that he used to describe this process of um, both of the habitual ways we pay attention, what we pay attention to, and then the way uh, we build up experience from there. So that's kind of the layer of relationship that I was speaking of. Yeah, so if again we use the example of, um, of a, an ache in the body, the habitual response, the habitual reaction would be resistance, yeah, pushing it away not wanting it, yeah? And it happens on a physical level and it happens on a mental level. And I, I, I may go into it a little bit more. So the simile the, the Buddha um, used uh, was, you know, appropriate for his time, but still easy to understand in our times, which was um, the simile of the two arrows. Um, and so he, he used the simile of saying, um, the way we relate to our experience is similar to a person who would get hit by an arrow, yeah, and that obviously would cause some discomfort. <laughs> yeah. And then the response to being hit by that first arrow is to shoot a second arrow. At it, which is the relationship, yeah, the habitual relationship, the resistance, the pushing away, yeah. And I think the the words he uses was quite dramatic, um, you know. It's like lamenting, and you know, oh, you know, I've been hit by an arrow. This is so terrible. This is so awful. This is so, you know, unfair. And why me? Or you know, it's my fault. Whatever you're you know, personal flavor of arrows is, why did I walk this way, made myself a sitting duck for these arrows, you know, whatever, um, yeah, our personal kind of habit is. Um, but that real sense that there is, the, there is what arises, yeah, having a human body, there will be discomfort, yeah, there will be pain, it's, it's inevitable, it's inescapable, yeah, just through being born into a human body. We can't escape that, but then how we, how we respond, how we relate, that relationship is workable. Yeah, there's strong habits there. So it's not necessarily easy, but it's workable. 
And I remember um, reading a few years ago, and I give this example many times because it just blows my mind, um, reading about some research that was done about, about chronic pain and the pain mechanism in the body. And in some types of chronic pain, and really important to say, in some types of chronic pain, 70% of the pain that people are perceiving is the body contracting yeah, around the area of pain. Yeah, so it's, these are the second arrows. You know, the body's doing its habit of trying to contain the pain and protect us, but it's actually causing more pain. And we know that also from our mental life. Yeah, ways that we try to um, respond, but we're actually just reacting, contracting, resisting, and adding more layers of suffering to the experience. So one important thing that comes out of this simile and really, really want to emphasize here, not, this is not about whatever pain I have, I'm responsible for, and it's my fault that I'm experiencing it. Yeah, this is one of the habits of mind that we have that shoot a lot of arrows. Um, this is really about understanding that there is a relationship and that relationship has an effect. Yeah, so if we learn to to relax, if we learn to respond in different ways, yeah, we can reduce um, suffering and increase well-being in our lives. So there's a relationship between, you know, something that seems so um, clear, you know, body experience, pain in the body. There's a relationship between that and the mind and the other way around, as, as Yuha was, was talking about um, earlier today. Yeah, there's a relationship, the body and the mind mutually relate, mutually impact each other. So what's going on in the body impacts the mind. What's going on in the mind impacts the body. I'll give you a really simple example. Yeah. You see someone walking down the street. Their head's down, they're slumped, they're walking slowly, they're shuffling their feet. Are they happy? If you imagine that, you see someone walking down the street, head is down, slumped, shuffling their feet, going slowly, tension in the body. Are they happy? Not very likely. Be quite, you can try it sometime <laughs> and see. Like, it's quite difficult to maintain happiness in that body shape. Yeah? There's a relationship. There's a relationship between the body and mind, and we can play with that relationship. Yeah, that's why we keep emphasizing that sense of relaxed uprightness. Yeah, it impacts the mind; it brings alertness. Yeah, so there's a relationship there. The body and the mind in relationship. They're mutually dependent, and I'm just going to throw in. Um, two terms here, if they don't land, don't worry. Um, but in, in the teachings, this is called um, fabrication, the way experience is built up from these different conditions, from these different aspects, the, the physical experience, the, the mental experience with its different layers. Yeah? Experience is fabricated, made up of different components, not made up as an imagined. Yeah? Made up as created out of different elements. Um, and everything arises dependent on other things. 
So the mind and the body dependent on each other. Okay. So another example, yeah, to hopefully kind of look at this from a different angle and 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 kind of get more juice there. Um, someone moves during the meditation here in the hall. Someone moves. And they're sitting on one of the squeaky chairs. <coughs> you notice there's lots of squeaky chairs in Gaia House. It's intentional. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a mistake, it's intentional. <coughs> Put a lot of chairs in a meditation hall that squeak. You know, you just need to breathe when you're sitting on it and going, eh, eh. Yeah. Okay. So, so that happens. Yeah, we're sitting here, we're meditating, it's going quite well, we feel quite calm, and someone moves and the chair squeaks. Does the mood, does the mental state of our mind affect how that will be perceived? Mm -hmm. Interesting, isn't it? So if the mind, yeah, if there's already some aversion in the mind, yeah, say there's a lot of physical discomfort, and so there's aversion, and the mind is aversive already, or we didn't like lunch, whatever, mind is aversive, and then there's the squeak, most likely, yeah, the aversive mind state will then impact how that is perceived. Oh, that again, you know. Who the hell puts squeaky chairs in a meditation hall? <laughs> you know, and then it goes. Yeah, it goes, it goes, it goes. Yeah. And if we're feeling quite relaxed and open and spacious, and that squeak goes, sometimes we won't even notice it. Yeah? Won't even, it won't even be noticed. Yeah? Because there's enough space, enough ease, in the being, that that can just arise and pass, just like the sounds of the rooks. Yeah, another sound. If there's curiosity, yeah, this is kind of, yeah, one of the ingredients we've been working with today, right? So say there is some aversion in the mind state, and the response is aversive, but then there's curiosity. What does that do? You know, they can be like, ah, this is interesting. There was a sound, there was a mind state, and those two together, <laughs> second arrow. Yeah. You know, sometimes the chair only squeaks for like a millisecond, but we spend the next 20 minutes of the meditation in that squeaky experience, right? It keeps going in the mind. Yeah. But if there's curiosity, if there's interest, or if there's kindness, those can shift the experience completely. You know, sometimes, and I've certainly heard it from plenty of people here in the hall, you know, someone quite close to you happens to have a squeaky chair, and that becomes like the love of your retreat, that squeak, because it becomes like a reminder to come back. It's like, ah, I hear that squeak and whew, I'm back here. Forgot about that, you know, daydream or not lost in that memory. I'm right here. Yeah, so I can start loving it. 
Do you see the relationship? Yeah? There's a relationship, and that relationship is impacted by the mind. Yeah? And this is true of everything. You know, I'm giving kind of I'm giving what are hopefully examples that we can really kind of resonate with, but this is true of everything. Yeah? Just gets more complex or more simple. There's always a relationship. You know, and the same thing with the squeaky chair could be towards, you know, some internal habit, yeah, some mind, kind of particular mind chatter that arises. If there's spaciousness, if there's openness, it's not going to register. If there's aversiveness already there, it might kind of start off a whole storm, yeah. So it's the same relationship, externally and internally. So there's always a relationship. And that relationship is flavored, impacted by the mind state yeah, that is present. And that mind state is also a made-up thing. Yeah, remember that word fabricated, dependently arising. It's not, it does not have an existence of its own. Yeah, it's conditioned by other causes and conditions, and that's just important to remember. Yeah, so the body will impact the mind. Previous experience that we've had will impact our mind states, expectations, views, whatever. The weather, huge one. <laughs> yeah. So, so many conditions, and, and we don't need to kind of go around and try to figure out, oh, what are all the conditions that are <laughs> impacting my mind state right now? That's not what we're, we're just remembering. This too is a conditioned arising. It's also dependent. It's also coming together out of conditions that are arising. And we just remember that somewhere in the background. So there's always a relationship. There's always a, a way of looking is another way that we can say this. A way of looking or a way of relating to experience. And for most of us, most of these will be habitual ones. Yeah, there'll be more of a tendency to certain habitual ones um, that are at play. And one of the things that we do in practice, and I, I touched on it earlier today, is that we increase sensitivity. Yeah, through practice, we're increasing our sensitivity. Um, and one thing that we do is we increase the sensitivity to be aware of, okay, what is the way of looking? What is the way of relating that's present right now? Am I pushing, pushing away experience? Yeah, am I trying to stay safe from it? Am I reaching out for something? Yeah, what's the way of relating that's present right now? Am I zoning out, spacing out? These are all ways of relating to our experience. So we start to be sensitive. What is the way of looking that's present and how is it impacting, um, how is it feeding the experience? So that's one thing that we're really um, cultivating through practice. And another thing that we are cultivating through our practice is an increased flexibility of the mind. Yeah. So increased ability to move between different ways of relating to experience. So the first, recognizing the mind state and understanding how it's affecting experience. And the second is an increased flexibility. 
within the mind. So we can kind of, the image I always have is like unhook, yeah? Like mind states or ways of relating, they're like, we get hooked into them. <laughs> and we kind of get the flexibility to unhook that, to just remove that hook from what is unhelpful and unwholesome. And then to kind of invite the wholesome a little bit more. And over time, the, the wholesome, the helpful ways of looking, they become more of the automatic setting. Yeah, they become more of the habit. Yeah, because we repeat them. Yeah, so every time, and I'm sure you're already fed up, even just after 24 hours, when we say in the meditation, where are you now? Come back to the object of meditation. I'm, I'm, yeah, finding it hard not to laugh at myself. Come back to the object of meditation with patience and kindness and curiosity. So every time we say that in the meditation, every time we do that, that's a nourishment, that's strengthening yeah, this habit of kindness, this habit of patience, this habit of curiosity. Yeah. That's the way the mind works. It's a dynamic thing, just like the muscles in the body. Yeah. If I exercise a certain muscle enough, it will get stronger. The same thing with the mind. If I kind of nourish a certain way of looking, a certain way of relating to life, that will get stronger. So I had a wonderful experience of that last week. Um, I just I, I taught a, a retreat in Spain, and I was on my way back on the train. It was a very long train journey from Barcelona back to Dorset. Um, and on the train, one of the parts of that train journey, um, I was really tired, so I, I was falling asleep, you know, as you do, as I do, traveling. I was asleep. And... At some point, someone woke me up by kind of going like that on my leg, yeah? And I found myself, this is really interesting, I found myself waking up with a smile on my face. This is not my conditioned habit. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't wake up with a smile on my face to like, you know, beautiful music let alone someone going like that on my leg. But I found myself waking up with a smile. Um, and part of it was that I was aware that most of the people in the compartment, in the, in the carriage, my part of the carriage on the train were, were really little people. Yeah. There were a lot of children <laughs> there. And, and that had somehow been there. Yeah. So, you know, someone did that and I woke up with a smile on my face and I opened my eyes and there was this, you know, two-year-old there and then just such gratitude yeah that I didn't wake up going you know. <laughs> you know and that's that's kind of that's that's the the reconditioning of the mind yeah there's the habit yeah it comes from genetics it comes from family conditioning everyone in my family is like that nobody wakes up smiling you know comes yeah and then there's the reconditioning. Yeah. Like something different can arise which is appropriate to the situation. There's a lot of gratitude to that.
So, you know, that the ways of looking we've been cultivating here, the curiosity, the patience, the kindness, um, relaxing the tension, just opening to feel what is okay in experience, you know, then all of those, yeah, we've been doing them, uh, we've been kind of highlighting them because um, they, can, they can create that change over time in us. And it can be really interesting as well as, you know, just coming back to them to just notice, because there can be small moments when we can see, how is that affecting my experience right now? Yeah, not just over time, it's also over time, but also right now. Also right now. What happens when I bring that in as an intentional way of looking? And I say, okay, right now I'm feeling, you know, kind of, <clears throat> what happens if I bring patience or kindness in? How does that affect experience? And to be interested in that as much as we can. So experience arises dependent on countless conditions and the way of looking, the way of relating is one of those. Yeah, it's one of those conditions. But it's one that's very close to home. Yeah. Yeah, we can't go back and change human history so that we don't have a survival mechanism which makes us notice the negative. Yeah, so we can't go back and do that, but we can train our minds to notice the positive. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, so the ways of looking, they are something that is accessible to us, a condition that we can work with, we can attend to. And it can really support us, it can really help us to remember you know, that when we make the in this intention to tune in, yeah, to tune into what is supportive, tune into the wonderful, yeah, what fills us with wonder. We are rewiring our brain and we're changing the habits, not only of our own lifetime, you know, but sometimes we're changing the habits that have passed down to us yeah, through families, through society, through biology. Yeah. That's a pretty amazing thing to do with the human life. And remembering also that every moment is significant. Yeah, we tend to kind of think, oh, you know, that meditation, yeah, I was out of it most of the time. But that moment that when, when we weren't, yeah, wow. Yeah. That can create incredible change over time. You know, that's the way change happens, most, mostly. Yeah, small shifts over longer periods of time. So noticing the change that arises in the moment and allowing ourselves to enjoy that and appreciate that and also remembering we're growing roots into ways of being, ways of looking, ways of relating that support more well-being for ourselves and more well-being for others. So every shift matters. Every moment matters. And I want to I wanna close with... Um, with a story um, that kind of highlights that, in uh, not in the arena of the personal practice that we're doing here, but in the arena of the relationships between us as human beings. And it's 
story from um, a Jesuit priest called Gregory, Gregory Boyle. So he's, he's worked with um, gang members in LA for, for decades and he has a lot of wonderful stories about them. Um, and this is a story about someone called Speedy. And uh, Speedy was called Speedy because he was very speedy. He could run very fast. Um, and he, he kind of, one of the things that Gregory Boyle says about a lot of the gang members is that they have no value for their own lives. Yeah, they come from often such difficult backgrounds that they really don't have a sense of any kind of worth to their own, to themselves or to their lives. And so Speedy's always taking risks. Um, and he's go, you know, in this case, he goes into um, a part of, a of the neighborhood which belongs to a rival gang. Um, and then when people from that gang see him, they start um, attacking him and chasing him and he's running away. So he's almost like he's running and he's very fast, he's getting away from them and he's almost out, like he's on the last street before his neighborhood where he'll be safe. And he bumps into a woman that he knows from church, her name is Yolanda. And she knows enough to know that he's on the wrong side of the, of the street. Yeah. She knows that he's in danger. But she calls him over. Yeah, she calls him over to her. And she says to him, um, Hey son, what are you doing here? Yeah, what are you doing here? And he's so out of breath, he can't really respond. Yeah, so he's just standing there because he's been running really fast. He's out of breath. And then she says to him, I need to tell you something. If anything happened to you, it would break my heart in two. If anything happened to you, it would break my heart in, coo in two. And this is someone he barely knows. Yeah, they just seen each other in church. And she says to him, if something happened to you, it would break my heart in two. And then she says to him, I've seen you in the park playing with your nephew. What a good uncle you are. And she says to him, I've seen you in the church giving food to the homeless. What a generous person you are. And then she repeats again, if anything happened to you, it would break my heart in two. And they each walk off. But what is she mirroring to him? Yeah, that he matters. And that someone can see the goodness in him. And this is a guy, Speedy is someone who, you know, Gregory Boyle had countless conversations <laughs> with trying to support him to move out of the gang life and never succeeded. After this conversation, he turns up in his office and says, I'm ready to change. Yeah. And he ends up getting a job, moving out of that neighborhood, getting married, having children, 
and tells a lot more stories about him. I, I, I would just leave leave it at that. But you know, th those kind of moments when we mirror the goodness to somebody else, including ourselves, yeah, and we say you matter, that has an impact, and we can never know what that impact will be. Yeah, how transformative that can be. So every moment matters. Every moment matters. Every moment of presence, of patience, of kindness. It's never too little. So let's just have a moment of silence together to bring this to a close. May our practice together continue to nourish our care and our wisdom towards ourselves and towards all beings. And may our practice together be a momentum of nourishment for the welfare and for the benefit of all beings everywhere. So thank you for your practice and thank you for your listening. And we have about just over 20 minutes for, I would recommend, some time outside. Whether you do walking practice or any kind of other practice. And then we'll meet back here. Um, for the last half hour meditation of the day. <laughs>